Good morning. Sure is good to have this crew here with us uh, this morning. And uh, uh, the song that we just sang, It Is Well With My Soul, is a, is a good song that, that matches up with the book of Daniel, which we'll be back in chapter 1 and, and talk about the rest of that chapter this morning. Uh, it is, is a, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't know that I want to say difficult, but it's an interesting thing to get to the point where you can sing that song wholeheartedly, you know, and I can, I'm certainly uh, convicted by that song. I'm sure there have been times in my life where I've sang that song and, and really didn't understand, uh, you know, what you're singing, you know, and there's a couple of songs out there like that that we sing from time to time that if you really think about it, you, you have to go through the process, much like we do when we do the Lord's Supper every week, of am I committing to this? Am I buying into this thought? Am I saying, you know, it is well, whatever may come, you know, I, I, it is well with my soul. Um, I oftentimes think of the, the phrase, this too shall pass, you know, that this time will come and it will go. And depending on where you are in life, you know, it, the, the idea of eternal versus the right now. And I believe that with the right outlook on the eternal allows us to have our full effect in the here and now. It is so easy today. Uh, there's so much information out there, and it's easy to say there's so much misinformation out there, that it's so easy to be caught up in the sways of this world when we have victory. Uh, you may be in a struggle right now that I don't understand, that it would be impossible for me to understand because I've not been through it. The book of Hebrews uh, shares with us and talks about how we have a high priest. So we talked about the, the blood of bulls and goats. Those aren't needed anymore, thankfully, because we have a high priest who can sympathize and even more impressively empathize with our weaknesses and our frailties. That in the midst of what you're going through now, Jesus has overcome those. And I think we see that in the book of Daniel. So much turmoil going on. And we're going to look at that as we read this chapter. Understand that Daniel was truly someone who could say, it is well with my soul. But the only way that he could get there is because of the things that he had seen and the, the chaos and turmoil that he experienced. I think that it may be a mistake to just kind of jump in and assume that Daniel was just always this rock, right? Uh, I can remember growing up as a child and looking up to people in the church and thinking, you know, those people had to have always been the rocks that they were. And that's just not the case. That's not how sanctification works. But it is beautiful how that works together, that we are all learning together. We are working out our own salvation with fear and trembling so that one day when that time comes, we can be the rock for someone else. It's actually quite the opposite that those people have struggled. They will always struggle as long as this human flesh is on us and we have a fleshly mindset that, that Romans 8 talks about being hostile towards the Spirit. We're always going to have those things that we disagree, that we don't see eye to eye on, but because of what Jesus has done, we can truly say at the end of the day, it is well with my soul. And, uh, you know, the more that we struggle and the more dark things that we wrestle with, we begin to realize how important our relationship with God is. I think about the name Israel itself, to contend with God. Uh, Jacob limps away 
as, as a lot of times I think it's a, a beautiful picture of my relationship with God. There have been many things that I have limped away from, but the limp wasn't that big a deal because I lived through it. You know, I've got the scars that show. Uh, Paul himself talks about, I, I have the scars of Christ. You know, people see the, the whipping and the lashes and the stuff I've suffered, and through that, Christ can be honored. Uh, I think about the, the, the gentleman that I've put on our prayer list a couple of times, Nathan Pirtle, who, who has suffered a great deal with cancer. And yet, every time he posts, he has some tremendous thing to share about what God has done in his life. And, and you see things like that, and you go, okay, what have I really got to be concerned with today? Not that our struggles aren't important, and we're not learning things from them, but comparatively, if he can say those things, then what can I do? And that's where we begin to see our full effect, not only as individuals, but as the body of Christ. In chapter 1, we, we wrapped up last week with verse 8. So I'm going to jump in in verse 9. If you remember, Daniel was determined not to defile himself. And we hear determined, we, we say there's this line in the sand. And a lot of times we look at the line in the sand and we go, there's no way that I'm even going to approach that. But what we immediately see is that in the wisdom that Daniel has been given by God... He finds a way to compromise. Notice that there's communication involved. And what do we tend to do as churches? Well, I don't agree with it. What do we tend to do politically? What do we tend to do in all of it? Well, I don't agree with this person on every facet of our beliefs. Therefore, I'm not going to talk to him anymore. And what we see is, as Daniel goes, okay, here's the line I'm not willing to cross. How can we come to an agreement on where I don't have to defile myself, but yet you don't have to literally here lose your head over it? And it's this communication, this opening lines of we can communicate about where we can meet and agree and come to this compromise without giving up our principles. And we see that here in verse 9. Now, God had given the chief staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now, I'm going to read the, the remainder of the chapter, and I want you to think about what God gives versus what the world gives. So I'm going to start over here. Verse 9, Now, God had given the chief of staff, and this is New Living Translation, both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Verse 21, Daniel remained the royal service in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And so as we look and we begin to compare about what God gives versus what the world gives, we see a few passages here. Verse 9, we see uh, this idea that God had given the chief or the attendant here a great amount of respect and affection for Daniel. right? And, and, and where does this come from? I believe it comes from the fact that he's determined to find a way not to defile himself. Notice that he's not sitting there and going, I'm going to have it my way, and I'm not going to meet you anywhere. In fact, he's so determined that he's willing, as we said earlier, to find a way of compromise so that both sides can see through to the end. That, to me, seems more determined. I'm willing to put some action on my end, if not come up with the entire plan on my end, so that I don't have to defile myself. In our society, the temptation is, is this is where I stand and I'm not budging. And if I budge, I come across as a coward. And what we see in in the Bible over and over again, in Scripture over and over again, is this discipline, this is the line I'm not going to cross. Here's a way, and as the Bible is so practical, this is what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. But notice that God gives this heathen, not a Jew, a great amount of respect and affection for Daniel. It's amazing what can happen. When we think about it, and I'm going to title this lesson, Identity Politics. When we think about the idea of breaking down walls, notice that if you look back through the Old Testament, if, if it was the other way around, Daniel would not have, or should not, according to the, the society that they lived in, anything to do with this guy. And yet, through communication and principled approach, they're able to find a middle ground. Let's test this. Let's see this thing. And it's because of this, I believe, that he has a great amount of affection and respect. When we live as Jesus has called us to live, people may not like us. People may not uh, agree with us on everything. In fact, the world will not agree. We've been told. We'll look at Matthew 10 here in a moment very briefly. But the fact that the world is not going to like us, but at the very least, if they can look at us and respect how we treat one another. It's amazing how much love and respect shows up in Scripture. You look at Ephesians, right? Uh, uh, Husbands are to love their wives, and wives are to respect their husbands, and they really go hand in hand. And so this idea of affection and respect is what God gives what the Jews would have looked at, a heathen, a worldly person. In in verse 17, it talks about another thing that God... God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for what? Understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. May we pray for that today. What if we prayed for that every day? Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you that as we talked about, and I talked about at Exposure a few years ago, when you pray for wisdom, understand that experience comes. These four men had experienced things that I would not wish on anyone. I wouldn't wish it on any of you. But understand that God gives wisdom through experience. Now, we have this wonderful thing called the Holy Spirit. 
that also brings wisdom and works along with our experiences, Romans 8 yet again, to bring us not only from debtors, but all the way to heirs and conquerors. I don't know about you, but if I'm in Daniel's situation, I certainly don't feel like a conqueror. But as we'll look throughout the book, there's one constant as the world politics turn over. And it's Daniel being in a place of honor, a place to be able to influence the world. And it's because of his identity that's found where? In God. And I believe that's where we find our ability to influence. Maybe you don't feel like you influence the world, but you may influence the next great gospel preacher, right? You may influence the next minister of anything, you know, or maybe a great politician to, to work within affection and respect for one another. It's how we live daily and consistently with God. Matthew chapter 10 Jesus is sending out his disciples, and he uses this phrase in verse 16. He says, be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. What a balance that is. We tend to want to live in extremes, right? And, and Jesus uses two uh, animals that we probably would not make as a dynamic duo, right? But that's what he says. He says, hey, you can be wise and gentle at the same time. I think of you know, grandparents, right? Those of you that have experienced that, you know, uh, grandparents become very different in their relationship with their grandkids versus their own kids, right? But there's this idea of gentleness and wisdom. You know, I can think of things where, man, I, I don't necessarily like that they're just letting them do whatever they want. It seems like they're just letting them do whatever they want to do. And sometimes that's the way it is. But there's also sometimes there's this wisdom in this. Well, you know, let them learn some things on their own, you know, that, that sometimes I want to helicopter or protect them from, right? But they've got to. And so this idea of gentle and wisdom, we see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that, that Jesus grew in what? Wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. I think about how if Jesus was my son and how much I'd want to helicopter parent him, and yet what we see is, is he's allowed to grow up. He's allowed to experience. He's allowed to hurt and ache and, and grieve. What a great thing. What about the spirit that grieves in us? I think about God in the days of Noah that man's sin grieved him. What does it mean to be grieved? It means to be touched. To be able to have compassion and feeling. One of the hard parts about me and my personality is, is I don't like to go back thinking about the bad stuff, the hard stuff, the hurt stuff. I don't like thinking, I don't like dwelling on that. And there's some people in the world be like, I'm so jealous of that. I wish I didn't dwell as much on And I said, well, maybe we can have a happy balance. But to allow myself to be grieved when other people are hurting, to allow myself to be touched by that, is a thing that, that Jesus shows in the way he lives his life. And I believe that Daniel is showed here. You know, Daniel could have easily said, well, I'm not eating that stuff. I don't care if you lose your head or not. But his concern for this person, heathen, Babylonian, who had no concern for his brothers, who many of them died by the sword, and yet he's able to put that aside and have care and affection. So God gives that wisdom. Verse 10, what does the world give? Verse 10, afraid the king will have me beheaded. Now what happens here? Who, who is this guy answerable to, number one? Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar. 
But notice that he doesn't say the same things. The scripture, now he may have had affection and respect for Nebuchadnezzar. I imagine he had plenty of respect for Nebuchadnezzar and, and fear. But it's this balance of, you know, I can come to you, Daniel, and I know that I can reason with you, but there's no reasoning with Nebuchadnezzar. What does the world give us? It gives us fear. It gives us death. It gives us anxiety. And that's what we see here. And, and he has a right reason to believe that. You go to 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 7, and Nebuchadnezzar takes King Zedekiah outside of the city and slaughters his sons before him and then gouges out his eyes. Think of the last thing that you see on this earth are the deaths of your sons. Literally, the last things. So to understand Nebuchadnezzar is to understand this man is ruthless. Which makes a few stories here in a little bit even more impressive. But for Daniel to see that and reason and sympathize, and well, let's come up with a way in which we both can keep our heads here, you know. But what does the world give? In verse 21, it also says that Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. The world gives turmoil. The world gives the darkness. Satan, evil, gives this idea of constant turmoil. That's what Satan wants you to stay in as a Christian. He wants you to continually be paralyzed by the evil that is in this world. But yet, what do we consistently see? Daniel, the chosen person of God, is able to consistently weather the storm. A few chapters we'll look at. Something that I find kind of ridiculous, you know. He gives this, hey, you're going, your kingdom's going to end. Well, let me give you even more power in my kingdom. Well, you know, thanks for the six-hour heads up on getting this new position, right? You know, he's dead in the water. It's not going to last long, but sure, whatever. Uh, because he understands the, the battle between eternity and the here and now. Eternity versus the here and now. Eternity, out, eternal outlooks, as I said, let us have, lets us have our full effect in the here and now. If I believe that God is victorious and He sits on the throne, then it gives a sense of brevity to what I'm struggling with today. That this too shall pass. In Matthew chapter 10, the same chapter where He talks about the wisdom of serpents and gentleness of doves, He's telling his disciples, he says, I'm sending you out. You're, you're like sheep to the wolves. I'm sending you out, and, and you're going to pay the price of following me. He talks about how you know, no student is above his teacher, and that if they hate me, and, and they're going to crucify me, and they're going to kill me, they're going to do the same things to you. But in verse 28, he reminds us, and what I think is a great connection to Daniel, is this idea of do not fear in verse 28, those who can kill the body, but those who can kill the body and the soul. You see, Daniel, compared to this attendant, had an extra priority. He had seen the destruction of Nebuchadnezzar. He'd seen how Babylon had come in and laid waste to his homeland. But Daniel kept a close connection to the one thing that Nebuchadnezzar could never take away from him. Unless he gave him the keys, the license, and that was his soul. And Jesus desperately in Matthew chapter 10 wants his beloved disciples, whom God had given to him, right? God gives. You've given to them, them to me, and no one can take them away from me unless they choose to fall away. 
What a great promise to us that no one can take us away from God. No one can take us away. Nothing can separate us from His love. But this morning, we all have a choice, don't we? We have a choice. God will love you no matter what, whether you choose Him today or not. But He has put salvation on the table for you to choose Him. And it's the choice we make. There are many people out there this morning who will hear the truth of God. And they will say, not today, I'll make a decision later. And in their own foolishness, they're making a decision. They're saying no. Really, when it comes to the truth, there is only acceptance and denial. We want to put off the question. Nebuchadnezzar in a few chapters will try to put off the question. But it's forcefully put at the forefront. Over and, and that's one of the beautiful things about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their situation we'll talk about is they force, by the way they live their life, they force Nebuchadnezzar to make a decision. What many, if not all, would say the most powerful human being on the earth at the time is forced to choose. If Nebuchadnezzar was forced to choose, we are too. And whether you've been a Christian for 80 years You've, been a, you've never become a Christian. Every day we have a choice to make. Do we accept the truth of God? Do we buy in? Is it the will that we seek that is God's? Or are we living for ourselves? This morning you have a great opportunity to make that choice. And we're going to sing a song. The whole point of that song is to encourage you to look a little more like Him today. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, it's impossible for you to grow and be sanctified, to look like Jesus. If you've never given your life to Him, that process cannot start until you choose Him above all else. If you have a need, why don't you come as we stand and sing?